my name is Brian White. I'm so glad you're here uh, this morning as, uh, man, like Justin said, it's cold outside, but man, it's beautiful out there. I uh, want to reiterate what April was saying regarding our fifth Sunday offering. Um, 100% of our fifth Sunday offerings go to benevolence, both um, here locally as well as internationally. Um, and just really want to thank you. Um, we were talking about this before the, the worship began, and uh, it, we started, I, th I was just asking our executive pastor, uh, Pastor Peggy, when we started this, and it would have been probably the second quarter, I, I, I think, of uh, 2020, and it was in the midst of the pandemic, and, you know, we just didn't know what to expect, and we kind of hit a point there where um, we, we didn't even have funds to cover the next payroll, and we decided, you know, if we're going to go down, let's just do this right. And, um, and it was really, it sounds really pretty overdramatic at this point, but at the time, it's like, eh, yeah. But, but my point is, it's because of your uh, just faithfulness in your stewardship uh, that we've been able to continue doing this. And um, I was amazed, uh, April and, and Peggy said as well, you know, we've actually surpassed $300,000 since we started going to programs like the, the mobile market, uh, like our um, ministries over in East Kennewick. Uh, last year we were able to give and we'll continue um, giving to several different organizations. Uh, Grace Clinic, I, we give $1,000 a month to Grace Clinic. Um, also internationally, going down to Honduras, and I'm just so proud to be a part of a community that's able to do something like that, so thank you very much. Uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series on the book of Daniel, and Daniel takes place during a time, it's called the Babylonian Captivity, and, and the point was uh, Jerusalem was conquered. Uh, the prophets have been calling this for quite some time. People didn't think it had ever happened, but eventually God dropped his safety net because uh, the people continued to walk away from God time and time and time again. And so Jerusalem was sacked. God's children were taken from their homes. And they were carted off and they were dispersed throughout Babylon. That's why we look back at this point and we call it the dispersion, the diaspora. Uh, it means, uh, it's, it's like a word like a farmer would disperse seeds. And they were dispersed throughout the Babylonian empire. They were forced to take on the language, the customs of the Babylonians. They were forced to intermarry. It was a horrible, horrible time in their history. And the goal was assimilation. You know, Babylon, this is what they did, and they learned if they would just disperse the people among their culture over about a generation, they'd just become good Babylonians um, and just kind of sink into their, into their world. Today we're going to look at one of the more famous stories in Daniel, and this has to do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to set Daniel aside for one chapter and look at chapter three as they face the fiery furnace. The king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, starts out in the beginning of chapter 3. He built this huge golden statue, and it says it's 80 cubits high. If you do the math, that's, that's about 100 feet tall, which is about eight stories. And I think we need to get this in our, our uh, brains. This is a massive, massive statue made of gold. The king decreed the entire land would worship this statue. So I want to start with Daniel chapter 3 verse 4. Uh, the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, the entire musical ensemble, 
You are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace, a blazing fire. So they just finished building this 100-foot-tall golden statue. They would have needed quite a furnace. It would have been right there, and I think we need to get this in our minds, it would have been there for quite some time. The people would have seen it in use, they would have heard it, they would have felt it, they would have smelled it. I mean, for a very long time, that's a lot of gold. So when the threat is made that they would either worship or get thrown into this fire, this would not have been an academic exercise. I mean, there would be a pretty intense vision of what that's going to mean. They would have seen firsthand all of that gold melted in a furnace. And that did not happen overnight. They would have felt the heat for months. I mean, this, this is important, I think, as we get into this story. And this is what empires do. It's very symbolic. So empires, they make images of themselves for their people to worship. And they force everyone to fall down and to worship their images. I mean, this is how an imperial power, they've all, they, this is how they work throughout history. They eliminate what they see as rival images, and then they demand adherence to themselves. This whole chapter is going to highlight this. How futile these practices are. They're, they're just worshiping fake gods. So over and over this chapter, it's going to highlight this irony of the formality in worship. And there's like this kind of formula with all the lyre and the targon and, and all this, you know, the pomp and circumstances is this point. It's going to come back and back and back. The, the pomp and circumstances of the officials, the pomp and circumstances of the musical instruments. I mean, they're just worshiping false gods. You know, I had, um, after about a year, a year of Hebrew, we, we took Aramaic. And, and there's not many passages in the Old Testament that's in Aramaic, but from chapter 2, verse 5 through the end of 7 in Daniel, it's all in Aramaic. And the irony in why I'm saying this is we know more terminology from this era in Aramaic. We know more musical instruments than we know so many other things, uh, you know, because of this, um, all of this formula. It's like we could put together a whole orchestra in Aramaic. We couldn't, you know, ask where the bathroom is, I don't know. But anyway, it's just, it's fascinating to me, you know. And, and, and the point is, the writer is mocking. The writer is mocking their pomp and their circumstance and how important it's making the king and his entourage feel. But the reality is, it's just nothing. I mean, it's just a waste. But again, this is what empires do. They build a smoke screen around the real goal, which is to create an image of themselves for their subjects to worship. So they give the people a choice. You, you, you either bow down to my big statue, or you get the furnace. 
And this golden statue became the object of worship for the entire land except for three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you're going to remember from the last couple of weeks, they're Daniel's friends, right? And, and we saw last week, they were given prominent positions of power in the Babylonian Empire, um, in their government. And we kind of, in this next passage, realize that's not something the Babylonians liked. There's some issues, and, and you can hear, there's some feelings about that. You're going to hear it in the next passage. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, the entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Now there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You can hear that. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the, the golden statue that you have set up. I and mean, it's just like a, you know, a little brother that goes and tells on big sister to parents. And like I said, this story doesn't have Daniel in it at all. He kind of steps out of chapter 3. He's going to come back in chapter 4. We won't hear uh, for the rest of the book about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and last week, if you were here, you, you know, it was basically just a series of leadership lessons from Daniel and how, you know, from, from Daniel, there's so many ways that we can learn about gaining influence is the point and how to influence people and how, you know, you can, you can really grow in your influence the more you interact with people. Uh, here's another lesson. Daniel he just backs out. So these people, these three, are able to step up. And, and sometimes leaders need to step aside. And they need to make room for other people to get their feet wet in leadership. I think it's a very, very important leadership lesson that we don't have a lot of time for. But I just want to put a place marker there for you. But I do want to move on. So Daniel 3.13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? You do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, the entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue I have made. Well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into the furnace, a blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this manner. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods. And we will not worship the golden statue you have set up. I love this interaction. I mean, verse 15. Who is the God who can deliver you 
out of my hands, the king says. I mean, this is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. Who says, worship what I tell you to worship or you will die. And they start loading up the furnace. And it's right there. I think we need to keep this in mind. The same furnaces that they've seen melt eight stories worth of gold. And that's one of those things. I think it's easy to skip over, but, but, but don't do that. Because this furnace is not just you know, some inanimate, academic you know, thing. It's not some object that's, you know, we're, we're going to cart you off a couple miles away. It's right there. They have been feeling the heat all along. They see the power of what it can do as they look at this massive statue. They don't know what's going to happen. But they're going to stand fast to their principles regardless. So in the face of the heat and the smell, I, I love their answer in 3.16. And it, it just absolutely cuts through the whole thing. And, and it recenters on the real priority. We're not going to do this. We're not even going to have a conversation about this. We're not going to be part of it. We don't need to defend ourselves against you, king. You know, every one of us are going to face a fiery furnace in our lives. And maybe it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's an ethical decision. You either do the right thing or you do the safe thing. The truth or the say, who hasn't had these types of decisions at some point in our lives, right? But what about the fiery furnace of dealing with an abusive spouse? Or the fiery furnace of trying to help a kid that's an addict? Or a doctor's diagnosis you never ever wanted to hear started with a lump, then it's an appointment, then there's labs, then there's tests. And you're just waiting for a call. And I've journeyed with a lot of people in this room over the years that have had to stare at those fiery furnaces. I mean, there's many ways as you can take that fiery furnace as there are people in this room. They're, they're, the point is, there's, there's three different scenarios, and I want to run through them, on how God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. Three potential outcomes that God can deliver you when you are staring at the flames. The first, God can deliver you from the fire. God can just absolutely deliver you. The first thing I do when someone is sick, you know, or some tragedy has occurred, is, you know, we just pray for an all-out, hit-the-ball-out-of-the-park miracle. And I know they happen. I've had them happen to me. It's an amazing gift of faith when God chooses to deliver us from the fire. And, and, and I've seen this happen, and I'll tell you, you know, I don't know why God chooses to deliver some people out of the fire, and sometimes he doesn't. But it can happen. I mean, I pray with people who are facing a fiery furnace, test results, 
labs, whatever. And, and then they get the results, and it's like, I don't know where this thing was. It was supposed to be here. You know, you talk to the doctor. We can't find anything. And I'll be the first to say, like I said, that does not always happen. But I have prayed on my knees for people to be delivered, and, and it hasn't happened. But it's also, it has happened. And it's an amazing gift of faith when a miracle occurs right in front of us. The Bible tells us even the great apostle Paul prayed to be delivered from what he said was a thorn in his flesh, and God did not do that. And I think sometimes it's because there's a greater work that can be done when we don't escape a fire. But our faith is refined through the flames of a furnace. That's number two. God can certainly deliver us through the fire, in the midst of the flames. John 11, you know, Jesus, I I, I love, you know, he heard, here's Lazarus is sick. And he says the most fascinating thing He said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory. So that the Son of Man might be glorified through it. And Jesus didn't heal Lazarus. He died. He died so that Jesus' true power and identity could be known. Because Jesus brought him back to life. When we're delivered from the fire, when we're just pulled out of, and we just skip that whole experience entirely, it is a huge boost to our faith. But when we're delivered through the fire, it's a very different thing. And it's so easily, I think, to to rationalize number one. When God pulls us from the fire and we skip the fire entirely. You know, over the time, we look back on the, ex- you know, maybe it was just a bad diagnosis. I mean, we can, we can rationalize all kinds of stuff, right? Maybe that semi that I thought was coming toward me was actually just a grasshopper. And, you know, the sun was in my eyes. and I... <laughs> We've all done that, right? Everyone, yeah. God delivers us. And at first we're like, go God! But then as time passes, we just kind of re, rethink it. And, and it, it minimizes. And it's a whole other thing than being refined in the midst of the furnace. Because you come through the fire a very changed person. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, even if for now, for a little while, you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, isn't that interesting, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When our faith is refined, we mature. You know, I love Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Meaning, if, if it's something that we can see, if it's something we can measure, something that we can understand, it's not faith, it's proof, right? Faith is when we don't have proof, but we keep believing anyway. 
If we're blessed with a miracle every single time that we pray, what type of faith is that going to be? And that's, that's Pavlov, you know. Here's the treat. The ancient superheroes of our faith used to talk about the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul. These are times when you would pray, and you would pray, and you would pray, and you would feel nothing. And the point was, this, this came from the most mature leaders of the tradition. And they had experienced God time and time and time and time again. But then they come to a vacuum. And they experience nothing. And what they learned was when they continued and and they were forced to walk in faith and not give up, they were blessed with an experience of God that they never, ever, ever would have experienced if, if, if they would have just walked away. There's a third more difficult option that I, I want us to wrap our brains around in how God can deliver us from the flames. And that is we end meeting him face to face. We're delivered from the fire into God's eternal presence. And most of our lives we live as if, that, you know, this side is the main story. And the truth is we have a home. And we have a destination, and it's not here. I remember at a youth conference I was at, I think it was in high school, and it made an impression on me because I still remember the exact words, too. As a kid, we went to this conference, and the speaker, dynamic speaker, um, and I remember him finishing his story, and he looked at, I mean, there was like thousands of kids there. He said, someday you are going to die. He said, people are going to come, they're going to gather, they're going to say nice things about you, and then they're going to have a reception, and they're going to sit down, and they're going to eat potato salad. (laughs) And that made such an impression on me as a kid. But after being honored to, to preside over countless funerals over the years, what he said was true. We're all going to meet Jesus one day. And it's going to be different for every single one of us. And some, someday, though, sometimes, the way that we're delivered from the flames of the furnace is by entering into the loving arms of Jesus. As we experience what Jesus describes, John chapter 14, and, and we, we, we end up in that house not made with human hands, but eternal in the heavens. And I think Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, I, I think they only saw option one and option three. That they would either get pulled out of the fire or that they would end with God. Listen to 3.17.18 closely. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. So here's the deal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they hoped and they prayed for option one, I can guarantee you. They wanted to be delivered 
by a miracle, I mean, this was kind of flagged to God. Hey, this is an option, right? <laughs> but they were ready for three. They really were. To be delivered from death into the safety and the comfort of God. And neither of those things happened. I don't think in their wildest dreams they ever experienced or set to experience number two, option two. But that is what happened. God delivered them through the fire. He joined them in the furnace so he could care for them. He could carry them in the midst of the flames and shelter them from the heat. They never saw that coming but I'll tell you what, it's all over the Bible. Psalm 23 does not say, I'm going to take you out of the valley of the shadow of suffering. It says, I'm going to walk with you in that valley. Isaiah 43. I love Isaiah 43 so much. Just the first couple of verses. Now says the Lord, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. You know, the whole deal with God setting aside his divinity, entering into the world in baby Jesus, was to join us in the midst of our suffering. That was the point, the incarnation, right? He saved us not by extracting us from suffering, but by experiencing it himself on a cross. Listen to the end of the story, 19 through 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, their other government garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw into the, bound, into the fire? And they answered the king, Oh, true, O oh king. He replied, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the middle of the fire. They're not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. There's a lot of ways to translate verse uh, 25, and, and, and I won't go into them, but, but uh, NRSV says the fourth has the appearance of a god. NIV, the son of the gods. King James said the son of God. 
like I say, almost all of Daniel is written in Aramaic, and, and there are translation issues, and I'm not going to spend time on them, but here's the deal. Three men were thrown into this fire. And even the Babylonian king, however you translate this, even the Babylonian king realized somehow God is there. Right smack in the midst of the fire. God is present. And, and I think this is so profound. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they thought they would either skip the fire entirely, with uh, just hit the ball out of the park miracle, or they had faith that God would take them home. But God had something entirely different in mind. God joined them in the midst of the flames of this furnace. God was there. He joined them in the furnace to take care of them. In the midst of the heat, they were unharmed. It says there were four men walking unbound because the ropes that held them were the only things that burned, right? Everything else, even their tunics were fine. They were released from their bonds. And I think sometimes we need to experience the fire to be refined. It's not a pleasant thing. But in the midst of those times, our bonds disappear. And that happens when we discover we're not alone. God is with us. I love the end of the story. Verse 27 says, When they came out, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their tunics were not harmed. And not even the smell of the fire came back with them. Not even the smell. I, 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 they didn't even smell like smoke. And there's a lot there. I mean, they were completely delivered, obviously. They didn't even have baggage left over. You know, sometimes we might come through a fire, um, and we've been singed, and we have some stink to prove it. We tell everybody about, you know, the experience. Oh, let me tell you, you know, I'm okay, but geez, geez, I couldn't believe how I was treated. You know, when you're really delivered, you don't even smell like smoke. You're a new person. I'm thinking, I don't really need to elaborate on that, so, so let's, you know, but just leave the stench behind, experience some new life if that's what God is doing in our lives. Like I said earlier, this is the last time we're going to hear a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the rest of the book of Daniel, for the rest of the Bible. And I think that's so important because there's a couple things here. First of all, because the king ends up affirming the one true God, these men keep the faith. They're heroes. I mean, they witness the reality of God and what happens. If you were to be known for only one thing thousands of years later... Wouldn't it be amazing that you are known for keeping the faith? I mean, we remember their names. Because of their faith. And I just love this so much. Because it's, it's not about us, right? It's about God. It's God's story, not our story. And sometimes we're blessed and we're honored to be called to be the ones to join others in the fire. 
as the body of Christ, to be, to be the tangible presence, physical presence of Christ for others who are in the middle of a fire. And, you know, God calls people to the front lines. God calls people to enter into the furnace, to be his tangible presence, to journey with people who are walking through the valley. Every one of us are going to be in a season where we're going to pass through waters, through rivers, through a fire. And you don't have to walk alone. When we walk, not if, but when we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. The flames will not consume us. God says, for I will be with you and I will comfort you. You know, and so often I think that means God calls someone to be his presence in the midst of someone's valley of shadow of suffering. They enter into the furnace. They stand in the midst of the flames with those who are weak and those who are vulnerable and those who are suffering and hurting. And today we want to celebrate a ministry that we have in our church who's called to do just that. Those are Stephen ministers. You know, I don't know how many years we've been doing Stephen ministry. I remember right before I went to seminary, um, I graduated from college. I was working for the housing authority in Clark County, and I was overseeing all the homeless shelters in the county. And Tammy and I, we'd just been married, and, and my dad, actually, who was a pastor for years, and he suggested, you know, you guys, before you go to seminary, you should do a Stephen ministry training. He said, um, you know, you'll get more practical pastoral care education than you'll ever get in seminary. And he was, he was so true. I, you know, I, they go through 50 hours of training and then they continue that training. Um, they continue uh, amazing, amazing uh, system of, of helping people as they process the hurts and the suffering of people in the midst of fire. And so we, we have people who, they, they want to go through this training. Not everyone becomes a, a Stephen minister. I was asking Peggy uh, how many people have gone through Stephen ministry in our church since we started. And we, we honestly don't know, but it's, it's well over 100 at this point. Um, our staff have gone through it a couple times. We had our board go through it at one point. And we're going to consecrate 11 persons who just finished the training, but, but the class was even larger than that. And, and for me, the Stephen ministry training is just amazing, amazing education just to be a disciple. I wish we could all go through the Stephen ministry training. But like I said, we just had um, 11 persons who went through 50 hours of training. And I want to invite uh, Pastor Trevor, who is our liaison, staff liaison with the Stephen Minister, as well as our Stephen Ministry leaders to come forth. And we do want to celebrate this moment in our church's life. So if you don't know or you're not that familiar, Stephen Ministry is pairing one-on-one, -on -one, a caregiver with a care receiver. Um, you know, as Brian was talking here about how God uses people to help us get through the waters. I mean, I think of Philippians where, where Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the very next verse is, 
yet it was good of you to share in my struggles. And there's this place where, come on up. There's this place where we, we often need people to walk with us. And, and like Brian said, these folks have put in 50 hours of training over the last 20-some sessions and have then made a two-year commitment to caring for people in our congregation or our community who need someone to walk with them. And it can be everything from a life crisis to marriage issues to addiction stuff. They're not counselors. They're just God's agents who want to walk with you. So if you need help or you know someone who does, please talk to us. But with that, we'd like to introduce these folks. Um, we have some of our leaders and we have some of our, the people who, who are going to be commissioned today. So uh, Jim Peterson will be commissioned today. Nikki Johnson, Linda Cadwell, Chuck Feth are some of our leaders and, and ongoing Stephen ministers that helped with the training. Arlene Ochoa and Patty Duran and Mary Gutierrez, Lorelai Patterson, Marie Russell, Andy Burnt, Chris Sweet, and Mary, and you, you switch to Sweet, they just got married, so. Yay! Scott Sanders and Jeff Lyons. Um, we as a congregation recognize the service and the calling that they've been called to. And so with that, we're going to pray for them, commission them, and encourage you. Reach out to them if you need help. So, Brian. Lord, we thank you for the call that you place on everyone up here's life. We thank you for the various experiences that they have had that they offer uh, to you to, to be able to just reach into to help those in the midst of the furnace. I thank you for the future that you are calling us as a community into, one that cares for one another, one that sets aside our neighbors, to journey with. Lord, I thank you for the yes that everyone in this stage up here has affirmed for your call. We as a community, we lift up these persons in prayer as they pursue your call. We covenant to continue to pray for them as they go deeper and deeper uh, into their unique journeys as disciples. But we pray for those whom you will help through their ministry. In your son's name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. So, step down from the stage. There are also a lot of Stephen as Brian said. If you are one, will you stand, please? Look around. These are people that we rely on. 